If you haven't used a code interpreter in ChatGPT, definitely encourage the use of that, even just if it's, you know, just upload a CSV of your latest Google Ads data export and just ask it for insights. You might be very surprised about what, what you can pull out. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast, an auditory journey through the latest in marketing, branding, and advertising. Now, here's your Marketing Expedition Guide, Ray Allen. On this week's episode of the Marketing Expedition Podcast, I get to speak with John Clark. And since 2005, he has been focused on partnering with companies big and small to develop performance marketing campaigns that have produced millions of dollars in incremental revenue and hundreds of thousands of new site visitors. And during that time, he founded two companies, Nomad Coffee Club and Moving Traffic Media. He certainly understands the challenges of growing a company and has had the experience to find some very creative solutions. And we're gonna talk a lot about wonderful things that he knows, so you're in for a treat. Uh, But first, let's get to the Marketing Essentials moment. The basics that you need to continue to help you build your brand and your bottom line. And today's topic, I wanted to talk about the five P's of marketing and how they are an essential part of successfully putting together a complete holistic marketing mix strategy and plan that you can then use in your business. And so really the framework that we're talking about with the five core components of the five P's include product, place, price, promotion, and of course, people. Now, there's also the concepts of the five C's of marketing, but let's just focus on the five P's of marketing for today. Now, when we think about all of these core ideas of what you need to include into your marketing plan, we're thinking about product, first of all, like it's either your product or your service, who you are, what you do, what you represent, the brand of the product experience that you have. The product is what you're selling essentially, right? You are a widget maker and you're selling widgets. That's your product. Or you are a business coach and consultant and your product is who you are as a person who are able to give out the types of information and coaching that you do. That's your product. Now, price is the idea that you are going to think about your pricing strategy. Are you going to be better, faster, cheaper? Uh, you can only pick two. <laughs> and where do you land in your marketplace? Are you brand new and you have a little bit lower of a price till you build up your your pricing uh, as you can continue to build the value that you give and offer to your clients or customers? Or are you, um, you know, high value price, high ticket item? Are you, um, you know, the value of what you give is invaluable, right? So what kind of pricing structure are you going to use? Are you going to do something in volume? If, uh, you know, people purchase a lot of your product, are you going to give them a volume discount or with more that they do, the less they have to pay per, per unit? Or if, you know, they make a long-term commitment, for example, um, like for us, if we have a client that's going to commit to us for over 12 months, then um, we can be a little more economical with the price because we're not trying to get a new client every month or uh, we can you know work with them on their pricing structure for that reason 
Are you going to do something in lieu of charging for your value? Are you going to give them, you know, like we do our marketing audits and we charge, you know, $3,900 for those. But in some circumstances, if a, if a client will commit to us over a long period of time, this is all the upfront work that we need to do in order to give the proper recommendations of what we're doing. So sometimes we will use our marketing audit as a, a little bit of a loss leader up front. We want to know that who we're going to work with is the client that we want. And they're going to be a good fit for us too, just as much as they're trying to make sure that we're a good fit for them as well. So things, things to think about with your pricing strategy. And then of course, promotion. How are you going to get your name out there, right? You've got your product, you've got what you have and who you are, but now how are you going to get people to buy from you? So promotion. And this is a, you know, a big thing that you need to consider with your budget and how you're going to promote your brand and or your product and that you're, you're doing right. And so they, they're all related to one another in one way or another, you need to think about the overall holistic approach in what your marketing mix is going to be and how you're going to get that promoted. And then of course, place. Is it a click and mortar or a brick and mortar? Are we having an online website that is selling or are we in a location, a physical location, or maybe even both? Maybe it's a hybrid scenario, but what is the place and where is the placement? So if you have a product on a shelf, for example, are you going to be eye level front and center or are you going to be you know, top shelf or are you going to be bottom shelf, right? Where are you in this grand scheme of things? And then of course your people. Really people mean not just your clients, but your community, your vendors, your customers, of course, your crew, your people, right? The people who work for you and the culture of the people that work with you, right? Culture really is what sets the tone for your your image and your brand and the people that work with you because your brand is your culture, right? It starts from the inside out and then exudes out into having happy campers with happy customers, right? If your people are happy, then your customers will be happy and vice versa. So your people, the people that are buying from you, the people that are selling for you or with you, or even your own, you're even your own self, you are your people. <laughs> so thinking about all of these things, product, price, promotion, place, and people as the five P's and use utilizing those into an integrated holistic approach that will allow you the ability to make adjustments to each one of those areas, right? If it's integrating each of those five Ps and one area is not doing as good as another, then what is it? Is it the location? Is it your location of where you're at if you have shelf space? Is it your location of where you're at if you are in a rural you know, part of the city instead of the urban area? I don't know. Lots of different things to think about place and and a lot of different meanings behind that. But if we can focus on a holistic marketing approach with all of these, these five components and look at the business as a whole, as an, an, an entire entity, all of the company's different departments, all the different people who work with you, all the components that are working together to accomplish those shared common goals that really supports the company's purpose, mission, and you know who you are, what you do, who you sell to, who your target audience is, all of those things. And that's you know your people, right? The customers that you want to attract. So your potential customers are your people as well. So that holistic approach uh, to the five Ps with your marketing mix, consider which one of those ones you really want to focus in and then holistically bring them all together to work in tandem to make your marketing mix happen. 
and do well. <laughs> All right, with that, let's get into the interview and we'll talk more about the five P's and the five C's of marketing. But until next time, let's just get this party started with the interview. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen. I'm the president and CEO of Peppershock Media and the founder of the Marketing Expedition Community. And today's guest we have with us, John Clark. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, I um, heard you're in Connecticut. So that's the that's other side of the country for us. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Um, we just got over some of the rain that you might be getting right now. So <laughs> yep, we definitely are getting rain. That's how I know my internet is going to go wonky. <laughs> Whenever yes. it rains, it never fails. Anyway, so John, let's share a little bit more about you with our audience. I know I'll read your bio, but uh, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to share a little more about where and what you've done and how you've got to where you are now doing all the wonderful things that you get to do with your company. Uh, but yeah, take us take us back from like, I don't know, school to now. <laughs> Wow, that, that goes back a long ways. Um, <laughs> so I uh, I actually went to school for marketing. So I'm one of those people who actually are working in the field that I went to school for. Um, Very nice. That's always a, that's always a positive. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and my first you know real job out of college was um, at a startup in Middletown, Pennsylvania. They were an aquatic therapy company. So if you can imagine a treadmill in the floor of a pool. Um, that's essentially their, their product. And, um, that's where I got introduced to Google ads, um, when it was very, very new and overture was still a thing. Yahoo had just bought them. And, um, so that was my sort of first introduction to digital marketing. And I was immediately hooked by, by the idea that you could create a message at that time. It was, uh, was that 70 characters? Right. Um, and get someone to do what you wanted them to do online, which was at that time, fill out a lead form. So I've been hooked uh, in this industry ever since. Um, I went to San Diego for a couple of years and worked at a digital marketing agency there. And that was where I got exposed to SEO for the first time. Had the opportunity to you move. You went from Pennsylvania to San Diego. Did the job take you there or just, you know, you wanted to go there on a whim? So... Um, you know, at, at that particular job being a startup, I was sort of learning on my own. And, you know, I bought a book. Um, I read it cover to cover. And that's basically how I taught myself how to do Google ads and come up with tests and, you know, structure campaigns correctly and all that sort of stuff. And I was there for about two and a half years. I loved the job. Everyone I worked with was great. They were doing things that were impactful to you know, people with hip replacements and people who, you know, needed rehab and stuff like that. So it felt good to be working for a company like that. But for my growth, I sort of reached the point where I realized I needed to be around people who were smarter than me um, and who, you know, were doing this with a, a stronger sort of collective brain power. So I just started applying it everywhere. I was pretty non-discriminatory in terms of where the job opportunities were. I did have the benefit of at the time my sister lived in San Diego. So that that made the, you know, partial apprehension of moving across the country. Uh, I was, you know, again in Pennsylvania at the time, um, a little less stressful. But I was actually traveling. I, I had applied to this job in San Diego. I was actually traveling in San Diego for work. 
and um, was staying with my sister. I got a call on my cell phone and it was this company based in San Diego looking to see if I would actually move there. Uh, so I remember I picked up to be there. That's yeah, awesome. it, the, the timing was incredible. I remember yeah. I picked up the phone and he said, um, "Hey, I have your resume on my desk, but I see your address is Pennsylvania. You know, are you do you live here? Like, what's your story?" And I basically told him, "You're not going to believe this, but I am in San Diego right now." <laughs> um, they reworked their calendars. Um, I went downtown to interview, and um, you know, my my sister dropped me off. I was worried about not having a suit not knowing it was San Diego and everyone was right. you know, basically the person interviewing me was in shorts. Yeah, <laughs> so I, was gonna say. I was even without a suit. I was very overdressed. Um, and nice. yeah, a couple, couple months later I got the job and packed up my, my Volkswagen GTI and a buddy drove out there with me. I treated him to a baseball game for accompanying me on the long drive. And then he flew back and I was there for about two and a half years. And um, I got contacted on LinkedIn uh, with a job opportunity at Microsoft, uh, which is hard to turn down or not respond to. So I went through that interview process, which was incredibly draining. Um, but, I would imagine. Uh, they probably really screen them hard, huh? <laughs> yeah, they do. And that gave me the opportunity to move back to the East Coast. So that, that brought me to New York. I was there for... The whole transition from you know Microsoft or I guess MSN search at the time to Bing, so that was sort of fun to be there during that time. And my role there was as a search account manager. So basically, if you're familiar with you know Google Ads reps, I was basically that person for uh, Microsoft Ads at the time uh, for their enterprise level clients. You know, basically helping come up with strategy for them to spend more. You know, basically what it comes down to. That's that's what uh, that's what we you know needs to happen, right? You got to spend more, but make it work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good. And it was you know so hard to generate volume on that platform. It really did require some additional hand holding. So we would build out keyword lists that were into the tens of thousands because you needed that sort of additional number of keywords to generate even I don't know a quarter of what you could spend on Google, uh, at least at the time. So um, that was rewarding. And then I got an opportunity to go to Razorfish. And was like the first SEO hire in New York. Most of their folks were based out in Philadelphia and slowly built out the team there. Um, I was there for a little over five years, um, managing the SEO practice for the US. Uh, was looking for another change, went to NBC. I was there for about two years in an audience development uh, role. So that kind of brought me back to my roots around page search and also exposed me to a lot of mobile and display marketing, as you might imagine. And, um, and video, all those sorts of things. And since I moved from California to New York, I was sort of freelancing on the side. Um, and that continued to grow and grow and grow as my network grew. And when I was at NBC, you know, it was kind of got to the point where I would either have to start turning down side work or do it full time. And I've always been sort of entrepreneurial at heart. And so it felt like that was the right path to go. And that was about six and a half years ago. So I started my own agency. And right around that time, a good friend of mine from Razorfish also was leaving to sort of do the same thing. Uh, we pitched a couple of opportunities together and we kept winning them. And so we sort of looked at each other and said, it doesn't make sense to keep treating each other as a contractor. Why don't we just try to do this together? So we had our five-year anniversary as a 
kind of combined agency um, back in May. And Congratulations. Um, you made it past the threshold of, you know, average business lasting longer than, they, you know, what are they, like two years, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we, uh, we're um, a performance digital marketing agency. Um, you know, we're not necessarily the folks that people come to for big branding initiatives or anything like that. We're typically held to a KPI, you know, sale, lead, some sort of key metric that we're evaluated against in terms of performance. At the beginning, we're very agnostic in terms of clients and verticals and things like that. But we've sort of found a, a nice little niche in regulated industries. So think about, you know, healthcare, real estate, finance. I think just because of our network and our background of clients, that sort of is a good fit for, for all, you know, the whole team. Uh, and we specialize in SEO, page search, content strategy, a little bit of link building and, and display programmatic mixed in there as well. Very cool. And it's definitely evolved even in the, the five years that you guys have been working together. I mean, <laughs> everything, but... every day changes. And so being able to stay on top of all of that, what do you do to keep up to date and ahead of the curve, if you will? Staying ahead is definitely challenging. Uh, I will say, so I write for a search engine journal, search engine land, um, Forbes as well. And I think just in part, just that exercise is uh, really helpful to for me at least to make sure I know what I'm talking about when yeah. I'm you know creating that thought leadership and you know looking for topics that haven't been covered. But a very long time ago, I, I created a, a Feedly list of RSS feeds, and that's sort of my nerdy weekend activity. You know, when I'm sitting on the couch with sort of TV sort of playing on in the background, I'm sort of filtering through my my Feedly list of URLs and. Actually, when we bring on a new employee, that's one of the links that I include. Like, hey, here's my Feedly list. You may not like all of these, but you'll probably find some useful information there. So it's a good way for the, the team to collaborate on what that RSS feed looks like and sort of evolves over time because uh, there's so much great content out there. So many you know, really smart people in the space, very different than, than when probably you and I started. Yeah, um, for sure. But that's, that's the most active way that I stay up to date. And I have a bad habit of emailing my thing, myself things that I want to dig into a little bit more later. So my inbox is, you know, never zero, mostly because of my own emails. Right. But, um, There's that too. Have you ever texted yourself uh, messages? <laughs> you know, I haven't texted. I, I still, I guess I'm still old school and I like I like pen and paper and I think that goes hand in hand with like a larger screen and sort of a desktop where I can take notes and copy things and things like that. So um, usually if I start reading something on my mobile device and I think I'm going to want to reference it later, I'll, I'll email it to myself so I can save it somewhere else. But there you go. Well, that's good. Yeah. I recently started texting myself messages when I'm on the go, just so that I know that there's something there that I need to check. And if it's a message from myself to myself, then uh, <laughs> that's great. it's good. It's good for sure. I guess there's, there's now AI uh, wearable devices that will, um, you can just sort of speak to it and it'll, it'll remind you or take a note for you. So who knows what the future oh, looks like. Oh man, I got to check that out. <laughs> Tap my glasses or something or. <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> Love exactly. it. So obviously SEO and AI and, you know, just mentioning that like these are the hot topics now and combining the two and 
kind of diving into what's what's next, right? I mean, people are using chat GPT and BARD and all the different tools out there, but I mean, have you have you started using a lot of AI in, in helping, you know, what you do for your clients too? Yeah, I think we are trying to figure out, as I think most companies are, how to integrate it in a responsible way, I guess is the best word. For example, we're not using it to create, you know, full blog posts. Where we have found some use cases are if we're going back, you know, from a blog content audit or something like that, and we found some outdated pieces that need to be refreshed or updated. Sometimes those are good use cases where we need to quickly add a, a paragraph. We'll sort of get the initial draft from GPT and then sort of have a, a have a human take a pass through it. Then, it, of course, it goes through client review and all that sort of stuff as well. But I think where we're trying to figure out how to leverage it best is in sort of our day-to-day workflow. So, you know, things like meta descriptions, can we use ChatGPT in Google Sheets to quickly get a, you know, a, a first pass at a meta description and then have, you know, one of our analysts or, or copywriters go through and, and massage it to something that's client-friendly and on-brand. I think that's really where we found a lot of use cases so far is the speed to get into a final product, if that makes sense. Not necessarily one input and having a final, but really having that 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 human review um, of, of what it's outputting. I think the other really powerful place that we've found to leverage it is with data analysis. So the probably some of the more recent features that they've released, you know, being able to upload uh, files, uh, specifically CSV files or, or Excel files and help with statistical analysis. And even in some cases, creating graphs and things like that, that's been really uh, a powerful use case for our reporting and, and um, combining data sets. I think we've found a lot of different ways to take page search data and aligning it with Google Search Console data and trying to figure out where there are opportunities. So are we spending a lot on a keyword that's, um, are we seeing a lot of conversions on a keyword that's not ranking well? Um, you know, should we spend more time trying to get that particular keyword to rank better and reallocate some of those funds, for example, and really sort of helping with those statistical models that can sometimes be more difficult to, to craft on our own. That's been a really powerful implementation of GPT and it still requires you know, that human oversight to sort of validate and fact check what it's outputting. Um, but again, the speed to getting to that data um, is just, you know, it's really unmatched. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of endless possibilities that you could get sucked into and, you know, continuously test and and try and see what's going to work best for, for whatever it is that you're trying to do, for sure. So tell me, because... Now that you've been in business for five years, you've mm-hmm. had to hire staff and go through that process and work with the team. Let's talk about some some leadership journey that you've gone through and, and how you've developed your own company and got your brand built and you know the things that you're doing now and kind of where you want to go into the near future. Yeah, you know, our um, it's been a crazy five years. Um, you know the the stress of just getting started and then you know even hiring our first employee which i'm very happy to say is still with us you know then going through covid 
and, you know, having an office space and thankfully having that lease come due right as everything got locked down and being able to walk away from it and then trying to figure out what to do when things open back up, you know, during that period, we, or I guess when we first started, we were only hiring locally because we wanted to have, you know, an office where we could all meet up at least a couple of times a week, you know, develop some culture and camaraderie and things like that. And as, uh, you know, all of us were impacted by COVID, we started being less stringent about hiring locally. And now we have employees in California, Maryland, Kentucky. So it's really sort of opened up our, our hiring pool, um, which was great for, you know, finding great people who weren't local. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, the challenges of that are how do you, how do you continue to build, you know, a culture and a camaraderie? So, where we sort of landed at this point is um, we try to do it every quarter, but it's not always possible. We, we all try to meet up for a few days um, here in New York, you know, sort of bring the the team together. Uh, in some cases, the first time, you know, they're meeting face to face if we've been hiring. Um, <laughs> so it's really important just to build those relationships. And we try to do some team stuff, you know, dinners and, you know, some sort of outing while everyone's together. And, you know, we try to do a lot of our sort of in-person meetings and stuff like that in person um, while we're right. all together. Um, but so during many, the week, you know, we... People, how many people are you employing now? We are uh, seven people, seven people now. Yeah. And during the week, we have uh, we have three stand-ups where, you know, we treat it sort of like a, you know, um, uh, an agile sort of development framework. So we all sort of go around the horn, what's, what, uh, what did we complete? Mm-hmm. What's coming up? Where are our blockers? We're all also active on Slack and Asana and all those sorts of things. Um, we're really focused on, you know, even though we are small, trying to figure out growth opportunities and goals and all those sorts of things. I think those are sort of, uh, my business partner, Joe, is, is great at this. Um, I think it's some of those larger agency learnings that both of us sort of acquired in leadership roles at, at Razorfish and elsewhere, you know, sort of making sure there is a roadmap for, for everyone who's an employee. And so we found, you know, these little ways to continue to, you know, build relationships and, you know, create that, that environment that we all wanted to, to work for at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely something that's either the silver lining or it's, it's a blessing or a curse, either work from home or work together and, you know, not feel, I try not to feel right. isolated and still be able to communicate and collaborate. And yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to be said to be about being in person, but also, you know, and it depends on the person too, I think. Yeah. Some people are made for it. Other people just can't, don't want it. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm much more of, I could work from home every day, all day. My business partner is someone who get you know, gets energy from being around people sometimes. So it's a good, yep. you know, it's a good balance between the two of us. Um, him pushing me to mm-hmm. be more in person and me sort of pulling <laughs> back and saying, eh, I'm, you know, maybe, maybe work from home is not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like I said, yeah, there's like the yin and yang yeah. there. And that's good. That's good for partnerships to have, Absolutely. right? Uh, my my husband and I are business partners too. And I am definitely the people person, having people around me. And he would be like, yeah, I could work from home. No, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's one of us is he's a little more risk adverse. And I, I take more risks and 
both of us need to sometimes. So it works yeah, out. Yeah. definitely having that balance is, is good to see. I'm glad you met and found your partner because that uh, definitely helps in business in a lot of ways. And, you know, getting new business and acquiring and, and retaining, cl- you know, your clients, but also yeah, employees. So exactly, yeah. you're doing it. You're doing it right. You're doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> So let's dig in a little bit. I, I want to hear maybe a success story on a client that you helped and what you did and if you generated leads for them, what did you do? What kind of process did you go through? For our listeners, a lot of times they they want to you know learn about how to do some things and or they realize that it's not for them and they want to hire somebody to do it for them, sure. you know? So without giving away all of your secrets, maybe you could at least just share kind of a, a, a success story of how you went about it, what you did, and you know maybe what the result uh, end result was as uh, as you went through your process. Let's see which one to talk about. Um, so uh, I'll talk about one on the content side because I think that's where I've sort of found a lot of interesting things uh, over the past you know couple of years. Uh, there was a startup, very sort of early in their journey and we were trying to figure out you know how to increase awareness without necessarily having to spend a significant amount of money and it was a a very competitive space and so there were a lot of questions around you know will this be possible or not so there were really probably i don't know three things that that really drove success for them. Uh, one was they actually invested in a content strategy and the assets to go along with it. And what I mean by that is they created, you know, custom images, you know, custom graphics to sort of align with the messaging that was going out. And they hired specifically people to sort of own those parts of, of the strategy. So it wasn't just, Hey, we're going to create content around, you know, X keyword. There was a a deep desire to, you know, have an editorial process and sort of hold themselves to a, a very high, you know, editorial threshold in even creating that content. And I would say, you know, working with other clients who have similar goals, that's, that's not always the case, right? It's, it's, it's how do we create content super fast and just get it out there? So they hired folks internally specifically for this. We did mind-numbing amount of keyword research and sort of mapped all those keywords together and sort of handed them a, a strategy and a, a wide set of topics to sort of build around. And the other key component of it was we we're thinking through, you know, what are some, you know, viral ideas that we can align to, to the content to generate buzz and press. And I think part of it was just them being a startup and raising money and, you know, some of those, you know, business as usual activities spearheaded this a little bit because it allowed them to create some of these, you know, newsworthy contacts that then they were able to reach back out to and say, Hey, we developed this app, you know, specifically for, you know, this use case. Uh, and the use case was sort of like kitschy, it was sort of like tongue in cheek, but it was, you know, that that's what made it sort of newsworthy. And mm-hmm. so they were able to generate a lot of links, um, a lot of press activity. And a lot of that, 
uh, activity was pointed into sort of this, this content hub. And they were really able to go after really authoritative and tough to crack keywords with sort of this, you know, really deep and detailed strategy. And then they were able to sort of parlay that into uh, paid search. So based on what we were seeing perform well uh, on the content side, we sort of aligned what we were seeing in Google Search Console to keyword buys. And, you know, there's not a perfect parity between organic keywords and what we see in revenue, or sorry, in um, conversions in Google Analytics. So we had to make some, you know, loose correlations between what we thought was converting and what isn't. But we at least had some data to, to begin to work with. Uh, and these keywords were, you know, in the 10 to $15 CPCs. So really expensive click costs that if you just sort of went into the market blind, you could have ended up wasting a ton of money. But we were armed with a little bit of data, built out campaigns around content that was performing really well, and sort of aligned those two strategies together. And I think that's just in my history and background, I feel like that's one area that is often missed is really that sharing of data across the, you know, the, the channels uh, that can really inform performance. So was this so was this uh, was this for the real estate agent, uh, in industry or sounds like automotive? this was in a men's health category. Oh yeah, health healthcare health health and fitness categories is very yes. competitive. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm glad to see that you had some some sex, successful results. I, I interrupted you, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that was just a you know a strategy that they were able to double down on, and then as they released subsequent products we sort of had a, almost like a roadmap to follow for each launch. And, you know, as each launch went out, we figured out different little increments that worked well, some things that sort of decreased in performance over time. So continued to be a model that evolved, but it sort of laid a really strong foundation for really helping them build out their, their roadmap of product launches. And over time, it was sort of, you know, in a way, we sort of worked ourselves out of a job and we sort of knew this was the plan all along. But as they generated more revenue, added more funding, they started to hire more and more of these folks internally, which made a ton of sense for them. They were just moving so quickly. And so it was kind of, it was a very fun to be a part of and almost sort of seeing, you know, the, the, the child leave the nest as it were, they sort of like, you know, we sort of guided them to a to a position where they could sort of take all of this stuff on in house, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was very fun to be a part of. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you got them to a point where they could start to do that on their own and teach them and train them and and prove success, which is helpful. And you know, the 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 number one thing that I think I heard you really say is that they invested in the strategy and the plan. Right? If you if you uh, fail to plan, you can plan to fail. So it's that they upfront really invested in that strategy piece. And I think that that's the, that's the key that a lot of people miss is that they just want to get started and not really dig in and do the work to research and find out, you know, what's working, what's not, and understand what, you know, you need to do and how you need to go about doing it before you actually right. do it. <laughs> you know, I think that that is definitely true. But I also think and maybe this goes hand in hand is that everyone was on board with making it a success. So it wasn't, you know, there was never a mindset like, Oh, SEO is coming in here and they're going to tell us how to write content. We were very upfront with them around like, we want what you want, which is human readable content that, 
you know, answers or to use Google's phrase, it's helpful, right? We're not interested in stuffing, you know, this keyword in, you know, 15 times in, in the article. And so I think sort of level setting on, you know, what we anticipated our role being and allowing them to have the editorial freedom to do what they do best, which is, you know, write great editorial content. You know, I think sort of level setting on those expectations and maybe tackling some of those initial biases based on other folks that they may have worked with in the past, I've found is always helpful. And, you know, once everyone was on board, just figuring out what the workflow looked like, you know, making sure we did what we say said we were going to do, delivered things when we said we were going to deliver them, and made sure we were never the ones that were holding up the, you know, the process for moving forward. So I think all of those things was just a really fun group to be a part of, uh, with everything sort of turning, you know, really, really turnkey. Yeah, I mean, I think that the more you do the things that you're doing and getting really good at it and being able to, uh, you know, continue to incrementally make it better every yeah, time, yeah. right? And using that process of iteration and you know, not being afraid to to do things that you may not otherwise, or that people, like sometimes clients are afraid to do things because they don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. and they don't want to spend the money. And then, you know, to be leaning on people who are experts, you can, you know, at least guide them and give them some some good ways to go about it. I think a good path forward is is awesome. John, any anything else that you'd like for our um, audience to know? Maybe there's some tools that you could suggest or recommend if, if people are kind of getting into this space and maybe, you know, without giving away all your tools, but maybe there's some things that they can do to at least get going and started and then, you know, probably get deep enough and realize that they just need to hire people <laughs> like you to do it for them. But for those that are the kind of the DIYers, you know, there's the DIY, there's the done for you, done with you, right? And they have to level up at each, at each stage. But uh, what kind of maybe resources or things that could, you could maybe share that would be useful to somebody that's kind of in between that DIY and maybe done with you stage right now that just really wants to help their business get more, you know, search results and, and things like that? Um, one tool I actually just came across, I, I just shared it on Slack earlier. Um, it's, uh, the URL is internallinking.com. Pretty straightforward URL. You can probably imagine what it's all about, but it's pretty amazing. You, um, you connect your, uh, Google search console account and you can go kind of page by page. Uh, you enter, you know, a URL that you're looking to add internal links to. It allows you to pick specific keywords um, based on Google Search Console data uh, about what that page is ranking for. And then it'll basically crawl your site and look for pages that reference those words. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do this, but on a individual page by page level, super user-friendly, free, uh, which is even better. Nice. And um, I would definitely look into that. If you haven't, Use a code interpreter and chat GPT. Definitely encourage the use of that, even just if it's, you know, just upload a CSV of your latest Google Ads data export and just ask it for insights. You might be very surprised about what what you can pull out. Yeah. What's another one? There was one I was just working with the other day that I'm totally blanking on. I'm sorry, I can't remember it. 
That's okay. No worries. I'm, this is a lot of good information for those that are listening already. So I appreciate your wisdom and insight and being able to give uh, some stories of how things work, right? I mean, it's, it's like SEO is such a, it's, it's a crapshoot sometimes to be able to make it work right. And being able to do it legitimately time and time again, and get your clients to where they need to go and be is definitely something to be very proud of and that you are growing and maybe, you know, making it past, like I said, making it past that, that two year mark. And now you're at five years and going on six years with, with you individually. So definitely some kudos to you and your team and your, your partner in what you're doing and, you know, keep up the good work for sure. Where do you see yourself in the next, I don't know, the next five years from now? Wow. The next five years. Um, you're like, Ray, I'm just trying to get through today. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, well, I'm just trying to get to Friday. Um, yeah, you know, hopefully, I know for one, I'll definitely be in this space. You know, over the course of my career, it's, it's treated me very well. And it's something that I still wake up and enjoy doing. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think one thing that's very exciting about it is that it continues to change. So I think in five years, who knows what it looks like, or if it's even an industry, maybe AI will just answer everything for us by then. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'll, I'll definitely be doing something in this space, um, whether it's still running an agency or and sort of being in, in the services industry, that that part, I don't know. But definitely something in, you know, in this digital marketing sphere. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And you'll have even more clients to work with, I'm sure, and more staff to <laughs> employ and continue to grow. So thank you, John. Any uh, last parting words of wisdom for our audience today or any uh, ways they can get reach out to you and anything else that you'd like to share? Uh, sure. Um, you know, if anyone has any questions or just wants to pick my brain, uh, happy to uh, converse on X, I guess it's now called. Um, you can find me at John Lee Clark, right. J-O-N-L-E-E-C-L-A-R-K. Um, or, you know, shoot me a, an email that always works too. Uh, John, J-O-N at movingtrafficmedia.com. Excellent, John. Thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, we'll, we'll be sure to put your show notes in there and the links that you mentioned as well. Thank you. Great. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. And for those of you listening, the best thing that you can do for John and I both is to share this podcast episode with those you know who need to listen to it. Right, John? That's right. <laughs> and also give us a review. If you do and you screenshot it and you send it to me, uh, DM it to me, then I can do a nice little shout out for you uh, for having given us a positive review. And uh, until next time, everybody, enjoy your marketing journey. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Want to continue the journey? Don't miss out on new episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.